Welcome back, everyone, to Looking for the Ocean, the podcast where we talk about everything that Pixar has ever made and what it means to us. I'm Mark Young. I'm joined, as always, by Danny Vincent. And Danny and I are joined today by two fantastic guests. Fantastic guests. Would you mind introducing yourselves, please? Just say your names and, yeah. Yeah. Hi, I'm Bridget Lynn. I'm Matthew Schaefer. Happy right. to be here. Thank you guys so much. So, Bridget and Matthew and Matt, hello. Um, and we were just in a show together. So yes. I was like, hey, we got a thing coming up and it would be great to have you guys on the podcast. So yeah, great to welcome be to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having and us. Of course, yeah, of it's course. It's great to have you. I, would... I love when Mark gets to yes. bring a guest. I... <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, Mark knows people I want to ask, uh, I do know people too. I just don't, <laughs> I don't know. Danny is the one who has like connections with people who he knows have p- connections to Pixar. But I don't actually know if people that I know have connections to Pixar. So my first question for you guys is, what is your relationship to the studio Pixar? Yes, we were saying after we finished watching this movie, uh, for both of us, Finding Nemo was the very first movie we both saw in movie theaters. I was like two or three years old and I went with my dad and it's the first it's one of the first like memories I have like I very vividly remember sitting in the theater watching Finding Nemo um mainly because I had a very bad time because I was like really little and it was loud and dark and I didn't like it (laughs) um Uh, yeah it was also my first movie ever um and I loved it so (laughs) yeah it's uh it's a great early memory and uh, set us on our path to become actors and and uh, tell our tell stories yeah, as well. Yeah, I, that's what did it. Did <laughs> that's it. What like, did like it. yeah, like seeing those fish on screen. <laughs> yeah, was like I could be a fish. That could someday. be me. <laughs> you never can know. I, can Disney I on ice exists. Do you, well, my my question is like just because it's on. It's something that I'm curious about. Is do you have a moment that actually started you down that path? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, well, I guess it's kind of two moments. I did the first like play I ever did was when I was like eight. I was the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. And I just like it was like, you know, my parents had signed me up for like sports. And that was not that was clearly not going to be my um, my journey. Uh, And then when I did this acting class, it, it was kind of clear to everyone in my life of like, oh, okay, this is what she's good at. And then the second moment that really solidified like, oh, I want to do this for a living was when I saw The Fantastics off Broadway because it was the first musical I ever saw that was like smaller. It was in like a very small theater. The cast is only eight people. And I just remember being like, oh, like musical theater and theater in general is not just like big Broadway, big budget shows. It's also this like this is what I want to do, which feels very appropriate because we just the play that we just did together was in a living room, <laughs> so sort of the same, same uh, vibe. <laughs> yeah, oh, for me, it, my first play was in fifth grade. It was called "It's a Jungle Out There." I played King Lion, and the moment that really mm-hmm. okay, did King. it for me was uh, I had the, a great moment of theater magic where I throw a, a a huge list out into the audience of all the things I have to take care of instead of play. 
and it got a huge laugh from from all those fifth graders and and I I was on stage being like yeah this is this is good and then when I wanted to do it professionally I, I was in a um, a product a steampunk production of Jesus Christ Superstar Ooh. Ooh. Uh, in North Carolina and it was pretty sick and I remember being on stage and being like okay this is uh this is something I I would love to do every day forever. Which which person were you in Jesus Christ Superstar? So uh, I was an apostle priest track for that one. Nice. Cool, cool, cool. So neither, neither one of you, uh, I mean, this doesn't preclude that you like grew up with Disney things, but you didn't get into this actually because of like Disney on Ice or anything like that, did you? Were no. you familiar with those shows? I have never okay. seen, I have never seen a Disney on Ice show. Have you? I like um, how you went for Disney on Ice and not like Mary Poppins the musical. Yeah, not like a broad, <laughs> which Mary Poppins was the first Broadway show I ever saw, so... There you uh, go. Yeah. Disney. I saw oh, that in Broadway well. in Chicago, but not Broadway. Right, yeah. <laughs> Mary Poppins isn't, I mean, I don't know, it's obviously part of the Disney brand, but it's like just just enough outside of it that I don't know if it like clicks in for me, because I think mm. that Mary Literally Poppins is, is one the of... subject of the only movie Disney's made about Walt Disney himself. But okay, mm. I guess it's not Disney enough for you. <laughs> well, wow. sure, it's made by it's made by Disney, but it's not like I don't know. I just think of the cartoons and all that, and I think I think because it's connected to Julie Andrews, who is then connected to Sound of Music, and is then connected to like just just other things in my mind. It can have a life outside of Disney for me. But when I think of like Pinocchio or something, that's sure. clearly Disney. Um, but so, like you guys mentioned, that the first one of the first things you saw in theaters, I think, was it the first thing you saw in theaters, or was it the first Pixar thing you saw was Finding Nemo? It was the first movie I ever yeah. saw in a movie theater. Me too. Very first film ever. As a toddler. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Pixar. Okay. Woo. Toy Story Two is mine. You're... That's been established. Uh... Yeah. Cool. Uh, post post Finding Nemo, did you like think about the people that made that movie? Were you connected with them at all, or did you even like have that awareness of the people who made movies at that point? I mean, I was so little. I was like scared of the sharks. Like, I don't think, I don't think my, I don't think I understood what a movie was. I'm gonna be so honest. I really didn't. Cause the a fun fact about me is after watching this movie, I would I refused to go to a movie theater for like years like as a kid i hated movie theaters because they just like over they were so overwhelming i didn't like that i didn't know what was going to happen in the movie i was like literally something scary could happen at any moment and i i won't be prepared um so i i there was definitely a separation there of like yeah no part of me was like wow ellen degeneres was so good in this one i was just like mm, no, thank you I really didn't start thinking I about films in, in that context probably until college when we were kind of surrounded by, you know, <laughs> film. You, you well, didn't think about who made a movie until you were in college? I'm gonna, like, not really. <laughs> I mean, I certainly, like, enjoyed movies and TV. Well, that's not true. I, no, I More with TV true. shows, but yeah, I... I'm I'm certainly much more in tune with that kind of thing now than when I was, especially when I was uh, growing up with watching Pixar movies as part of its target audience. Um, yeah. So were you guys like big cartoon watchers? I am still a big cartoon oh, watcher. Yeah. I oh, yeah. I never left my like animation like nice. era. I love I lo I've always loved animation. 
now as an adult, I, I still, I definitely still watch animation like made for kids, but I also watch like a lot of like adult animated shows as well. Um, yeah, it, I, it, I don't know. I'm very drawn towards animated movies and, and TV shows. Yeah, sure. I, I, I'm a big fan of all of like the Nickelodeon's pantheon of heroes. You know, Danny Phantom, Timmy Turner, <laughs> Jimmy Neutron, El Tigre, Avatar. Danny Phantom. All those cartoons you, are crazy. As a Danny, that's a show that really meant a lot to me. I was really I'm sure. when I turned 14, everything would change, but. Here I am. <laughs> yeah. still Your parents would build a very strange machine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's so it's so Bridget, you say you're like still a cartoon watcher. And are do you guys like have Disney Plus? Are you up to date on like the the short well not the short films, the films that they released, which were Pixar movies, but they released certain Pixar movies just to Disney Plus and these were like turning red and during Soul, COVID, and, yeah. Did you catch yes. Yeah. I would say the only I, I've seen Soul, which I loved, I've seen Turning Red, which I loved. Haven't seen Elemental. No. Which was the, the mm-hmm. latest one. But yes, I've seen those two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed Soul. So oh, and Luca, yeah. Did Luca. see Lu- did see Luca. Oh yeah, I've seen Luca too. Luca's so cute. I loved that one. Okay. So you guys are really up to date. Oh and yeah. There's nice. not like a point in there's not like a point that you felt like cuz sometimes people grow out of these movies. Sure. You don't feel like there was ever a time when you felt that way? Definitely not. I I will also say my younger brother who is like how much younger than me is he? He's 6 years younger than me. He is a big Pixar nerd. Like especially when he was younger, like Pixar was like his thing. Like he had like Mark, book posters. Him for the show. I know, honestly, like, I'm so excited to to send this to him because he's going to be so excited. Um, but he had, like, posters on his wall. So a lot of these newer Pixar movies I've seen because, like, I'm home for the holidays and, well, Garrett loves Pixar, so let's watch, you know. Like, uh, like we watched Onward as a family. I don't, I don't know if we watched Finding Dory as a family. I'm not sure. But a lot of these newer Pixar movies we, like, put on because he's really excited about them. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I mean, I certainly don't, you know, maybe buy the the toys and merch, which they might want me to. But um, but you know, when a Pixar film comes out, it was always like a very big event, and especially because like I had this relationship with my family. Like growing up as a kid, we would all go see the new Pixar movie, mm-hmm. and you know, it just kind of becomes like a, a thing. Like, oh, this looks cool. Like, let's go check it out. Um, I think pretty much since Disney Plus came out, it it kind of that's kind of stopped. Yeah. Uh, my family doesn't really watch Pixar movies together anymore unless I make them. I did <laughs> I did make them watch Soul uh, over pandemic, of course. Um, but yeah, recently all of our uh, all of my Pixar viewings just been just been here um, with Bridget or or uh, yeah, not no longer with my no, it's no longer a family thing mm-hmm. so much. And that just, you know, comes with time and growing up. Mm, so your family grew out of it, but like not you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good way that's a good way of putting it still trying to recapture that magic i don't know i didn't I, you know what it's it's they're just good stories I, I think it's really good storytelling and and i think there's a lot of things you can do in animation that you can't with with the live action which is why i'm a big hater of all of disney's live action ones i think it and you know what like even now like we you know we're watching the percy jackson live action the new avatar live action's coming out soon of course and you, you know get rid it, of the it, it loses it, we yes yeah, oh yeah. my god it, it, it loses um <laughs> so it, it, it loses its, it loses what made it special to me like you lose that 
that whimsy, the speed of the frames, like all of that, you know, it just kind of becomes a bit more sluggish and, and I don't know. What can you, I don't know what you can gain from them that you didn't already get from the animation. Hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely yeah. agree. Well, I'm a big, I'm a big hater get... of those live action remakes as well, so. They're never good. <laughs> everyone's a, everyone's a hater of so many things publicly on here and I'm always like, I don't know which of these people I'm going to like meet. Mark's day. like, I would like to book a role in Mulsen 3. Do not like tie me to these people. <laughs> wow. Well, it's it's kind of funny because my role on here is like to be the hater. So it's, I don't <laughs> oh, know. Okay. You're, you're off in Chicago just, you know, chilling. Creating your own work even, Danny. So you this may not be something you have to contend with because you'll just be like, I'm just going to go like create my own money-making venture and I'll never have to like ask John Favreau for a job. <laughs> you never know. Anyway, let's get right down to it. Finding Dory, everyone. That's Finding... Danny, do you want to... Yeah. Yes. yes. Danny, Did they find her? I, I hope I'm... so. Sorry. That was what? A... <laughs> Matt, did you not watch the film? Uh, <laughs> we watched it. Yeah, watched I, of course it. I watched it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Danny, Danny, Danny. There are some important facts about this film. It is a groundbreaker. It is a groundbreaker. It, uh, I believe, grosses, yes, the highest opening weekend... Uh, for an animated film, which is later broken by Incredibles 2. Uh, highest grossing animated film in North America, which is later broken by Incredibles 2. But really, this is a movie I remember when it's first announced. General reaction is, Finding Nemo sequel, we don't need one. And then, obviously, even if you don't need it, everyone loves Finding Nemo. It's probably one of the most beloved films of the modern era. So sure. they come out with a sequel, and it gets pretty good reviews. It does really well. Um, it's a film that, you know, I didn't know this on Wikipedia. It makes very clear that Andrew Stanton denies this was made because he made the biggest box office bomb of all time. But let's be real, it probably had a bit of a reason as to why this got moved up on his priorities was he made John Carter, lost Disney a ton of money, was like, please make us money. All right, I'll make Finding Nemo too. you know? Um, but yeah, the movie makes uh, $486.3 million in the U.S. with a total of one point. Actually, I thought I made more. That's crazy. I thought it hit 500, uh, but 100.029 billion worldwide. It is the third highest-grossing film of 2016. Rogue One, I remember, wins the year in the U.S. Um, uh, but yeah, and then it. I think it actually, if I remember correctly, yeah, it isn't nominated for best animated feature at the Oscars. This is the year that Disney has. Moana and Zootopia, so they were focusing on those two for the awards, which makes sense, I think. Um, but yes, uh, that is Finding Dory, I think. And also, to be clear, also this is a movie that I remember it was announced on Ellen's show, and I remember when it was announced on Ellen's show, Ellen just pulled like a bunch of clips of all the jokes she'd made over the years. It's like, when are we gonna make Finding Nemo two? When are we gonna make Finding Nemo two? And then they announced it as Finding Dory. Uh, but, yes. Uh, yeah, also, I this was once in development at Circle 7 Animation uh, hmm. as a bad direct-to-video sequel. We did not get that version, obviously. Which, yeah, certainly Which not. was a division in Disney Studios when they had a relationship with Pixar, but Pixar wasn't part of Disney, and they were in charge of making direct-to-video sequels of Pixar films without the input of Pixar's creators. Oh, That's yeah. just... I, 
Some, yeah, yeah yes. uh, I'll just read the synopsis really quickly because I really don't think this is something worth giving time to, but I think it's worth mentioning. <laughs> Their version of the movie was going to be about Nemo's long-lost twin brother, Remy. Uh, Remy? While Marlin gets Whoa. kidnapped. <laughs> the Ratatouille? Nemo, Remy, and Dory have to save him. Yes. Wow. Um, you know, that's kind of weird yes. because they definitely only showed one egg living yeah, well, pretty how? clearly. <laughs> that... <laughs> <laughs> they made no. I thought yeah. it was pretty. I mean, I was I three, and I, nice I, I could gather stuff that. Stuff to... yeah. I think it's yeah. always okay. nice to look at this stuff to realize the bullet we dodged. Uh, yeah, that, um, <laughs> yeah. I think that you're not like me. The, and it, well, what, did you say? Sorry, did you say what it was? Brother. Did you say what it was called? Just Finding Nemo Two, or was it Finding Remy? <laughs> it's just. It was no, no. Well, it was just Finding Nemo Two, but it sounds like the plot was Finding Marlin. You know, so. Oh, um, okay. but I think like an inner, an honestly, inner conflict. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I don't I don't even know. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we didn't get it. But yeah. okay, finding Dory. Um, finding Dory. This is when do you do you remember talk Danny? About... Yes. Yes. When the first time you saw it in theaters was? Do you remember that experience? Uh, the first time I saw it in theaters was whatever you know. Like I saw it. Um, Again, I think I saw. I think I mentioned this actually in our uh, episode on Piper. I believe I saw it with my mom. My dad was out of town, uh, or maybe I didn't. I don't know who I saw it with. It doesn't really matter to me. Uh, I could look it up. It's on my letterbox, but I really don't care. Um, what's more interesting to me is the second time I saw it, which this is the first movie I believe I ever went on a field trip with children with, because um, I work in childcare. Uh, for both the listeners and the guests who do not know that. Uh, sure. mm-hmm. But uh, I saw this on a field trip, and you know what? It it killed. The kids loved it. Uh, everyone loves Dory. Uh, and then, yes, I saw it, I believe, a third time in theaters, where I wrote, like, the longest review I've ever written on Letterboxd for a movie I wrote for this film. Um, and then I believe I've never watched it again since theaters. So those are all the times I've seen this film. I'll top my head. Well, I'm going to blaze through my story pretty quick because I watched it about two months ago because I knew it was coming up and I don't know why. I think it was because we talked about Angus McLean, who was the co-director, and I had to educate myself. And I watched Finding Dory and I really liked it. And then I immediately went online to see what people were saying about the representation of the movie. And that was about it. I enjoyed it then and I enjoyed it now. But uh, Bridget and Matt, do you guys like have? Do you remember the first time you saw Finding Dory? Was was there a a thing? The reason we ask is because we like if we saw a Toy Story or if you're on for Finding Nemo, we'd be like, this is the first movie I saw and it traumatized right. me. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Did, were you like, yeah. traumatized? Yes or no? By this one, no, I was not traumatized by this one. Um, but the sharks aren't in this okay. one, so I was safe. Um, no, but <laughs> I I don't. Rem- I, ironically, I don't remember <laughs> the first time I saw this movie. I think I saw it in theaters with my friends in high school. I think me and some of my high school friends went and saw it together. And I remember really liking it um, when I saw it the first time. Because uh, I think going into it, I was like, oh, you know, Finding Nemo's sequel, like is this just going to be really like fan service-y, like nostalgia? And then I actually really liked it. I thought it was a pretty fresh take and a pretty like original like story, like an actual building on the story for the most part. 
Um, but I'm, I'm not 100% clear on the details of my viewing experience. Uh, I saw it on a plane, which was not, you know, it's never a great viewing experience to watch anything on a plane. Um, thank you, Delta. Uh, <laughs> but I, I did cry on that flight to Orlando. For watching sure. the movie, you cried? for sure. Because yes, watching the movie or not? Yes, watching well, the movie. from watching okay. for yes, from watching the movie. <laughs> or no, you I didn't have like personal stuff. No, going no, on? there yeah. wasn't an, there wasn't another thing going on that made me cry. <laughs> it, it was the it was the film, um, and yeah, so I I really enjoyed it. Uh, of course, watching a movie and crying on a plane are two bad experiences. That's in- so funny you say that. Those are two experiences I actually quite enjoy. <laughs> crying wow, plane. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, specifically, no, specifically crying on a plane watching a movie. Oh. I don't know. There's something very. I don't think I've ever cried on a plane on the movie, a movie on the plane, or even on I the watched, train. So I used to always watch movies on the train to college. So I watched uh, I Puss in Boots. Movies ever releases. Puss in Boots. The what's it called? Puss in Boots. The Last Wish on a plane. Sure. I cried. <laughs> that, that movie slaps. <laughs> that movie's so yeah. good. Anyway. Yeah. But, um, so that was my Finding Dory experience. I, I watched it because I saw it and I was like, I really should see this. I, I have not. It's It's been too long. I think I saw it in like 2019, something like mm. that. So a while after it came out. I was really busy um, when it, while it was in theaters with a lot of show stuff. So I didn't get around to it. But uh, yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, we rewatched it recently. Yes. And, um, yeah. Um, and now here we are. And here, and we, here are. we are. Yes. A lot to talk about no. today. And I think the other thing that I wanted to like talk to you guys about is I think this is like, this might be one of our heavier episodes. I know I sure. wanted to like have you on for like hangout time. <laughs> talked a little bit about this off screen. Um, oh, did but, you warn you them know, about my take I sent you? Uh, well, I don't know if I understood the take that you sent me. So maybe let's, well, I don't know. Let I'm me just, transition like, back with everyone, one last but, like, detail. the take that you sent me. Let me transition back with one last detail about Finding Nemo 2, the deleted movie. Because like, I searched yes, it, please. and I see there's one other thing that I think is important to mention about how bad this movie would have been, is Dory <laughs> would hit her head and remember absolutely everything, being cured of <gasps> short-term memory loss in this sequel they decided not wow. to Wow. Uh, wow, really the opposite direction like that this movie yeah. went in. Like an avatar when he hits his back on that rock. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's exactly like that. No, it is exactly like that, Mark. What do you... Does he get the ability to walk when he hits us back on the rock again? Mark, you seem to forget that James Cameron's avatar is not what most of our generation grew up with. Yeah, no, they were not, this well, isn't no. the blue people one. This is the... This is the uh, uh, Wait, what? Mark, Mark thinks it's the blue people one. That's what, I know it's not the blue people one. Mark is saying that he thinks... He, we're talking about the blue people one. But what when he well, hits his back in Avatar, in the, like that just in that whole TV show, I don't remember a time oh, when he hit his no. back. No, I know it, but I know what, but I know what you're talking about. But how is that similar to this situation? He doesn't like re- remember everything <laughs> when he hits his back. He's just like injured for a while. Well, I could make he the argument the he remembers state. all his past lives. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Sure. Anyway, I would have liked for Dory to become the Avatar because of that. And <laughs> oh. she, her eyes glow blue. She goes into the mm-hmm. Avatar stage. Before we yeah. get before we get too deep into it, I just want to mm-hmm. say that they did put a receding hairline on a fish, and in, it fi- is in, in this one, they did. And I didn't, think, I didn't think they'd be able to pull this one off. <laughs> but I'll I'll tell you what, 
It's it's good. The rumors were spreading. Well, yeah. This one's got a receding hairline, and we didn't believe yeah. it. Yeah, on a fish, he doesn't have hair, well, yeah. but they did it. What I find impressive is not only it, uh, is it on Charlie, the yeah. Dory's dad, but in that last like that scene where they come to all the blue tanks, there are multiple ones with different receding hairlines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like, that's really good. Um, I don't know the specific um, numbers. This might be the this Finding Dory might have like the most water in any Pixar movie, and it all looks great. The all water the, looks great. All the water in this one, top notch. Yeah. I think they really they really it's cracked a, the code on the water. Huge step up from the first Finding Nemo. Right? Yeah. When they come when they come above water, it looks kind of weird. I don't know if you guys have seen Finding Nemo recently. Not really. But that's like that. That's my like quarter star removal from Finding Nemo, which otherwise I think is a fantastic film. Is that the above water stuff seems a little bit like it hasn't aged well. Mm. Now, well, now, Danny, it's time Mark. to get dark. And no, Mark, that's right. The take you were telling me about. Okay. That's right. Mark, take. you literally gave me a perfect transition, and then you wouldn't let me take it. <laughs> what do you mean, take it? Yeah, all he, right. he was all waiting right. you. He was waiting you on. You blew right I, I was, by. Now, <laughs> speaking oh. of receding airlines, he's <laughs> going to give us. I feel take. like I'm trying to talk costly this, but Mark is not letting me cut in like at all. But it's. I'm okay. sorry. I'm having a. I'm having a silly time. Here you go. Okay, <clears throat> so I have a thing. Where when I watch a sequel to a movie, I always like to watch the original, like, right before it. Like, before Finding Dory came out, I probably watched Finding Nemo for the first time in, like, ten years. Or, like, not maybe, like, really sat down. I'm sure I've catched bits and pieces of it over the years, but it's the first time I sat down and really watched it. And I remember, like, I was blown away because, like, I haven't seen this movie since I was a child. It holds up so well. It's really about the father losing the kid. And I see Finding Dory, I'm like, this movie is messy. This movie, um is still good but it has some weird mixed messages mm-hmm. um and the Nor- marlin nemo stuff doesn't fully work at all and blah 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 mm-hmm. blah anyway so then yesterday i sit down and watch finding dory the last time i saw finding nemo was like a year and a half ago for this podcast and i'm blown away by it <laughs> I, mm. i'm like this is like one of the saddest movies pixar's ever put out it's constantly about someone who's apologizing for who they are and they can't fix themselves air quote because there's nothing to fix it's just who they are um it's a film about disability about parents of people with disability it's about people who live with disability and make their lives great mark hates when i use the word disability but i think this is the words andrew stanton has used to discuss this no i don't i hate when you (laughs) use the word handicapped oh i'm sorry and And i don't think think that's fair we're all up to date on that but that was just a conversation we had a few episodes ago. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you didn't even learn the right lesson. <laughs> or maybe there wasn't one to learn. The I lesson I learned anyway. was never never use words on my podcast. Never use words. Um, wow, what a boomer take. It's great for an um, audio medium. But my, my radical hot take is, um, and this is coming, um, this is more of something that Mark can address than maybe you two because you haven't been on this Pixar journey with us. Mm-hmm. I think so far of what we watch, this is the best Pixar film of the 2010s easily. That means it's better than Toy Story 3. It's better than Inside Out. Wow. I think wow. it better might than be Inside mess- Out. I think it might be messy, but I think Dory's arc in this movie is so good. But moreover, Dory herself, in the beginning, for like the first five minutes, I'm like on the verge of tears. Whenever Dory apologizes for herself, I'm on the verge of uh, tears. Whenever someone helps Dory, yeah. I'm on the verge of tears in this movie. Bro. Uh, I I just think I agree with you. I think the my fault. Go ahead. 
The uh, yeah, do it. I think the intro of of this movie like has that kind of up quality where it's such a good hook um, that yeah. uh, that really carries through like pretty much until the until the credits roll. The exactly what the film is trying to do is is set up beautifully in that intro. Yeah. Um, and I love I love when um, when movies do that where it's kind of like a not so much a flashback but kind of like a, a okay here's a here's a real quick recap of everything this person's been through in in like a two two five minutes whatever um and it kind of gives you everything you need to know and also baby dory is no i yeah i i 100 percent agree i think this movie the opening is great i think i think it's really brilliant how in general the movie takes the comic relief character of the first movie who we do remember like has like moments in the first movie she, she's like i see you i'm home she has moments of seriousness in the first movie yeah but we never really realized how tragic it would be to exist in a world where you're constantly forgetting everything and this movie places you head on into that world demanding you empathize with it and it's just it's a harrowing it's honestly a really like yeah, the, the writing in, in particular and the script is yeah. is so good. The one moment that sticks out to me in particular in that in that intro is she goes from saying uh, I'm looking for for someone, I'm looking for my parents, and then eventually she starts saying I'm looking for something. Yeah, and that yeah. always hits me so hard is that she can't even remember she's looking for. Well, she's looking for fish, but she's looking for 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 mom and dad. It, it becomes like she's looking for something not someone and that just oh it yeah. just it just rips me apart it's so dark and yeah. to speak on you you use the words existential horror which i would <laughs> i would totally agree with and it's also um this i, I don't want to like jump to the end of the movie too quickly but when you find out that her parents have spent their whole the whole time looking I'll for her talking about it probably like, I think no that, i can't that entire scene <laughs> I'm just crying the entire time. And it's something where, unlike other Pixar movies, where I've really, like, examined them, like, growing up, it's really settled in. Or even something like Coco, where Coco I've watched so much, I know when I'm going to sure. cry. This is something where I'm like, I've never really unpacked, like, what this moment emotionally means to Dory. Yeah. And to me, as someone who now watches this, as someone who's worked with kids with these types of disabilities. Right. And now it's like, this is how much you love them. And the effort you put in to trust them, and yeah, uh, it's it's also just the visual of all the shells. It's just yeah, like, that's the shot. It's, of uh, yeah. so beautiful. Yeah, and that uh, and that is like what I think makes her parents such wonderful characters is that the, the like they they never tried to change Dory. They're they're just trying to figure out how can we help her live with the way that she is and like yeah, I think that's and really so sweet. much visually is told in that moment too because I don't correct me if i'm wrong there's there's no dialogue about that like she just you just see all the shells leading toward this one little cave and like you know exactly what's who left what's it who left yeah. it there why it was left there and yeah yeah, it, yeah beautiful yeah 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 I, I think that people who who aren't me might argue that this is the best like pixar film of the 2010s and i don't know if you said like that we have watched. So oh, that we've far, watched so far. I think Coco is still mm. better than this. Coco, Coco is still better film than this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
Um, <laughs> but I think that this is the first one in a while that we've watched that seems made more for adults than for children. And I think yeah. there are a lot of, like, all the physical gags are great for kids, but I feel like most of the dialogue really only works as humor for adults, you know? Like, every everything that Marlon says, uh, well, mo most of, most of mean... Marlon's snide comments, I don't know if they would read for children as much as they do for parents. Yeah. So I think that's, maybe that's why we, we enjoy this one so much compared to, you know, we're coming off the last dinosaur and all that kind of thing. This one feels, yeah. this one feels much more intelligent. Mm. I will say not I like, don't. You know, not intelligent, but like it's, it's written for people with some, some history in the world. I still don't fully believe that the Marlin stuff completely works for me, but I also yeah. think the issue I have watching this film in 2016 is that I think we look at the idea that like, we've waited so long to make this sequel that it's, we're owed a particular level of honor to these, honestly, um, what's the word for it? Iconic characters. Like Marlon, Dory, Nemo, and Dory are all iconic characters. And this movie only really gives service to Dory and putting the other yeah. two in a subplot because Dory needs to be put alone. Um, but I also think that this was an ever thought process while watching this, which is when it comes down to it, the kid today goes on Disney Plus, Finding Nemo and Finding Dory are right next to each other. These are movies that are going to be watched right next to each other, and in that regard, I think they do exist as a whole. I think you get all you need from Marlon and Nemo in the first movie that you don't necessarily need them here. I think Marlon, the only thing that really is frustrating about Marlon is he seems like he's kind of regressed back to where he was at the beginning. I of totally Nemo. agree. Yeah, and we if, wanted to talk about that. I, sure. And I... Yeah. <laughs> this is gonna get a little silly, but I was as I was watching it, I was thinking about like other like Disney sequels and sequels I've seen, and I've I, I've kind of coined a term that will take a little bit of explaining, but stay with me, okay. which is like yeah. legally legally blonde two syndrome. Okay. So let me explain. So le so we we all know legally blonde, yes. Iconic film, yes. Yeah. Iconic film. So yes. she gets her Harvard Law School degree. I don't know if any of you have ever seen Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde, um, but I unfortunately have. It's a terrible movie. And what makes it terrible is that in this film, Elle Woods gets a job at a law firm, and this law firm is going to be defending a makeup company that uses animal cruelty. And Elle Woods make to solve this problem she makes like a powerpoint presentation that she shares with like the other her other like lawyers where she's like here's why we shouldn't do this and the other lawyers have to be like girl that's not how it works like they hired us to defend them we had like like we're doing it you have no power over what we choose to do here and it's like wouldn't a girl who has her Harvard Law degree know that, you know? Yes. So it's like the creators of the film took what was funny about the first movie, which was that this girl who's out of place in this world doesn't know what's going on. That's what made it funny. So it's like, okay, let's do that again. that Because it worked in the first one, it, so it'll work in the second one. But that's not how it works. And I think Finding Dory doesn't do that as severely, but there is a little bit of that where it's like, well, Marlon's character is someone who's constantly worrying about the people that he loves. So that's obviously what he's going to be doing here when it's like, Marlon, didn't we learn this lesson in movie number one yeah. that even though you love 
your son, you love your friend, you have to trust them. And we even see like at the very end of Finding Nemo that his relationship with Nemo is now a little bit more like, like, you know, there's that sequence of them like walking to school together and they're like a little bit more jokey. He's like a little bit more adventurous and like spontaneous with him. And then, yeah, I think a lot of that is gone in in this movie they, for him. They travel so I, I, much further in this movie, too. That so too. the fact that That's Marlon really brings funny, Nemo that... along for this one, like they, they live in what? The Great Barrier Reef and they, they're traveling to California. The first That's one, they're, so they're just funny. going to That's Australia. So funny. Yeah. They get there in I remember no that time, being like too. A they were quick. big point of discourse with this film where people were like, how could they travel all the way to California and there'd be no conflict at all? I'm like, well, the movie's in California. This, they got to get That's to where, where the they got to be. Like, yeah, <laughs> we, and we got to get there quick. That that uh, turtle jet stream will take you right there, no problem. Which, when you think about it, like, it didn't have to take place in California. Like, why was that where we had to Because you get the Sigourney Weaver gag. You need Sigourney Weaver. Right, you need... <laughs> <laughs> right, they, Sigourney had already signed her contract, so they, yes. <laughs> they needed to put her in. Oh, doesn't it take place in the cool California aquarium, which is good on social media and stuff like that? It's not a real like, aquarium. It takes place at. Um, oh. That was oh, the, that's the one thing I remember about this movie is that initially it was supposed to be set at a SeaWorld place, but then Andrew Stanton saw Blackfish and they immediately reworked the movie to not be SeaWorld or like yeah. a SeaWorld esque place. Sure. Um, that's why it's an aquarium. Um, I, Black, um, Blackfish yeah. being a documentary about Shamu, people don't know. Um, it is crazy how much of an effect Blackfish has had on the world. <laughs> I remember watching that, and you know, you watch that in school along with films like Super Size Me yeah. and other things yes. like that, where it's like, oh, well, this is interesting to think about. But of course, people still buy Big Macs or whatever, but Blackfish got these places like shut down. It's crazy. Yeah, SeaWorld's fully um, trying to just become a, a thrill ride company at this point. Yeah. Just a coaster park. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> probably what they should do, or, or shut down, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's maybe maybe it's not... I, mean, I, I, I want to push back against the Marlin thing, just because, like, I know what you mean, and I feel like a lot of this movie has characters going back to just the way things were. Um, it, and it's sort of like a sitcom in that way. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it is like, it is like legally blonde too. As just well. saying. No, just I, saying. I see what you mean. Um, but it's an issue of I, a lot that, of like comedy sequels too. Yes. Um, and yeah. I know legally blonde is a comedy sequel. I'm just saying like, I feel like that's like a con, like there's a reason why most comedy sequels suck and that is it. Yeah. Um, how many hangovers can they have? How many? And, yeah. At least as many times and as John McClane can get stuck in a building. For sure. I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Until the baby um, grows up. Who's the baby grow up? I, know. <laughs> I know who John McClane is. I had, to, I had to think about the National Treasure guy's name. But I know who John McClane is now. But anyway, I think I want to push back against the Marlin thing just as an analysis of his character because I think that that is actually like a fundamental part of Marlin. Mm. And I think the movie even shows that Marlon getting impatient with Dory is part of why he, like, you know, you know that's that's part of why he initially gets upset with Dory's memory loss. And I also would argue that Marlon has shown that he needs some kind of demonstration of a person's capabilities in order to feel comfortable with them. True. And that's what all of Finding Nemo was about. And now this is him learning that Dory can take care of herself. But Marlon 
has always been this overprotective character. Even at the end of Finding Nemo, he's saying like, oh, be careful out there, sure. Nemo, but have fun. And that's the part that's added. But at the end of the Finding Nemo, even at the beginning, when he's with his wife, he's always like, oh, let's be careful out there, wife. Um, I just think that's a part of him. And, yeah. And I know, I, I get what you mean. It's, it's kind of like Marlon doesn't really get to develop in a new way. It is that he has to learn to trust Dory on her own. But I would, I would say that it, yeah. his cautiousness is just a part of who he is. Sure, yeah. May I partake in a session called Danny wrote a 17-paragraph-long review in 2016 where he posited how to fix the movie that he no longer fully agrees with. But I think since I put so much effort into this five years ago, it's worth our time. Yeah, yes, fight, fight your past self. Let's do it. Seventeen paragraphs are worth our time. Yeah, like, we're not doing all seventeen paragraphs. We're just doing. Yeah, I was about to make some tea and uh, sit back here. Uh, well, I'm not going to do all seventeen. Um, all I, I wrote that there were two problems with the movie. One of them we haven't brought up yet. I'm sure will come up naturally because I think it's became a talking point in this film that I think we'll we'll get to. Um, but this is particularly about Marlin and Nemo's subplot. And my argument was at the time. It, which I don't fully agree with now because I think this movie being focused on Dory is the right decision. Now, having rewatched this film separate from Finding Nemo being close to me. But I think there's a clear problem here that Marlin's and Nemo's story is all about what would Dory do? What would Dory do? And it doesn't acknowledge, for example, what Becky would do, who helps them. The yes. bird who seems like she has some condition as well. Uh, I also posit... That even though this is a film... Well, no, this is a film about disability. It's not just a film about mental disability. Because the um, destiny is nearsighted. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Hank is missing a limb. All that. Uh, Nemo has a disability. Yeah. And the film never draws that line between the two of them, really. It Yeah. Uh, I feel like a film that would have worked better to have Marlon and Nemo have a role in it that worked would have made it something not about Marlin not trusting Nemo, but Marlin trying to have Nemo not push his physical limitations more. Because that is something that even though, yes, the end of Finding Nemo is like, I trust my son now, he can do stuff. There's That's very different than taking him on a journey across the ocean to do something. Being mm -hmm. safe at home is different than being safe on an adventure. And I think the answer would have been something where Nemo has to prove himself, and in doing so, Marlin realizes that Dory can prove herself, or something like that. However, I say all this saying now that I'm totally happy that this movie focuses on Dory because I think spending more time on Marlon and Nemo, I think the movie spares the bare minimum on Marlon and Nemo because Dory's headspace is a much more emotionally important place to be. Yeah. But this was thoughts from five years ago that I was like, I think these were these were well thought out then and I still think they're well thought out now if I wanted a Finding Nemo sequel that was about all three of them rather than one that was just about Dory. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But. Yeah, I'm sorry that my function in this podcast might be just like the literal re reviews of other papers on JSTOR where it's like, you're mostly right, but I have this small criticism. I do think <laughs> they draw a line between Nemo and Dory because of that scene when they're in the tank and it shows Nemo swimming away from Marlon. He's like, oh, dad, you suck or whatever. <laughs> and then he swims away and then they shoot him from overhead so that you can see not just him swimming away from Marlin, but you can see his little fin flapping mm. and Marlin looking at Nemo with the little fin, which I think is 
is vital to that discussion that they're about to have, which is when they have the what would Dory do discussion. They had he has to, he sees that, and that's what makes him think about the the good things about Dory being Dory. I think that's you know there's something to be said in all of this, of course, about like you know find finding the you using disability as a way to find the good things about a person, which I think is thorny. Mm. Um, I think, and I think I don't know the film plays with this and doesn't play with it. I just wanted to acknowledge that in my little analysis of that moment. But I'm sorry that that twice now I've been like agreed. However. Here's a small footnote. No, it's okay. Are making making big swings. I mean, that's definitely um, okay to do right now, considering this entire point I was making was like, but I don't even agree with this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't like there's there's something. It's it's kind of this film is kind of funny because if you were to recommend this film to someone, I think now I would say no. This film is like overwhelmingly about living with a disability. That's something interesting about it. It's also it's also this big adventure movie with all this slapstick. I think that's what's a little bit strange to see Marlon and Nemo in the situation where they are the side slapstick characters yeah. more than they are people who deal with a big problem. I think that's what's a little funky to me is that they're always kind of, they're kind of like the comic relief. And I'm like, oh, in that way, I agree with you, Danny, that the little kid in me wants them to get like more respect or whatever. Um, but this movie is is so many things that it's, it, it's I don't know it's it's hard to say what you would you know focus on or expand because you could make it be all about like oh man all these characters uh, like all have disabilities and let's explore that but really you you can only make it so that uh, you know during the big climactic chase scene everyone gets to use their their powers and whatnot. <laughs> Like, that just yeah, remind me. I kind of like petered out there at the end. Well, that just remind me what I really wanted. What my final point of my opening point was is that after this film makes you sit through about seventy minutes of yes, sometimes funny stuff, but also just grueling emotional trauma constantly. <laughs> it gives you probably the funniest comedic set piece these movies have had in quite some time. I think the ending of this movie is really smart. Where it's like. All right, now we get to be funny for 10 minutes. Yes, yes, like, 100%. Like, the <laughs> the part where the truck is, like, tipping over and they're all falling out. And uh, um, what's that song called? The song that's playing? What a Wonderful World is wonderful, playing. Yeah. Oh, my God. That gets yeah, me out of that. that so funny. That whole sequence, uh, I think, was was perfectly nonsense and, yeah. and in the best way. Uh, yeah, it... Yeah, this is how Dory saves the day yeah. by flipping a truck. I, you know? <laughs> I just like the moment. I think it's the beluga who goes, "Uh oh, it's the fuzz." <laughs> it's just uh, yeah. The beluga, <laughs> Bailey and Destiny are some of my favorite characters in this yeah, movie. Bailey they are so they're so cute. Yeah, I love the side characters. I, I think Hank is fantastic so too. What'd you say, Mark? The relationship seems so real. Right. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Like these two people who are friends, but they kind of don't like each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have a coworker vibe to them. They do. That, that I quite like. Yeah. Or just like an annoying neighbor. <laughs> mm-hmm. I. Yeah. That's- <laughs> I just like the idea that Andrew Stanton with the Pixar Brain Trust was sitting there like, how do I end finding Dory in a way that isn't just she hugs her parents? 
I got it. Dory fights the cops. Dory yes. fights the cops. The octopus <laughs> drives a truck. Yeah. <laughs> the roundabout joke. Brilliant. The oh, yeah, scaring yeah, off yeah. The, upper, the driver. Great. Everything about this sequence is just so gloriously, like, both funny and taken to the most extreme possible yeah. way. <laughs> and people were and mad I, about I octopuses love... driving a truck when this came out. And I was like, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> the fish talk. Who cares? <laughs> who cares? Yeah, honestly. I mean, this, this movie doesn't work too hard to make you think that, like, they're doing this where humans can't see them, you know? An octopus like spent the entire movie is... walking around and disguising itself as a baby at points. <laughs> yeah. Really His camouflage is crazy. I also was no I was like, why like it is too easy for the fish to get out of their tanks in this movie. Like surely this is a huge problem at this aquarium that the fish can just like swim through the pipes to whatever exhibit they want. Yeah. Well, they establish in Finding Nemo one that all pipes all, lead to the ocean. All pipes lead they to the ocean. They definitely don't. But I'm glad that that's carried over to this one. That all pipes not only are interconnected to every exhibit, but also to the open ocean as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I love I love the character of Hank too. I think mm-hmm. that it's so great. He's that's that's what I mean is, you know, I guess he appeals to children, but you don't really appreciate how annoyed Hank is with everything unless you're an adult. I think that's a perspective we don't get very often, especially just I don't know. Maybe maybe this was the dynamic in Nemo too, where Marlin is the one who's annoyed with everything that's going on mm-hmm. and that perspective feels grounding in this world of crazy people i just really liked that in this movie because it's like so schmaltzy and it could be so over the top i just i appreciated that even more than i did in finding me and it is also just say that what i appreciate very specifically about hank outside of like how good he is written i think there's we should take a moment and recognize that in the biggest sequel one of the biggest sequels of all time the person they went to hire to be their major new character was Ed O'Neill. Yes. I think that's really cool. Because uh, he's, like, he's great. He's, he's a great television, but he's not like, people are going to go like, oh shit, Ed O'Neill's the new big character in Finding Nemo 2? <laughs> great. That's what a big get. <laughs> and he's, he's really great in the film. I think all the new additions are actors who I like generally but not necessarily someone that like feels like a celebrity voice cast which i know pixar yeah, is generally right. good about but it's not you know, distracting just... yeah and yeah. you know it's not like even inside out a movie that i said like has like it it's it's a good voice cast but like amy poehler and bill Hader, those are people i go see movies for sure mm. i don't think any of these people are like people who like would sell me on it on their own it's just mm-hmm. oh it's a fine nemo sequel so we don't need to break the bank Yes. Yeah, that's uh, something yes. that that I find like very distracting in an animated movie, and I felt this way watching uh, Trolls Three recently. <laughs> like when there's really like recognizable, very famous people doing the voice acting, it can really rip me out of a story. Like like no other like even like some like bad writing can because now i'm just like oh and now i'm thinking about this actor and maybe where else i've seen them or just like what they look like as a as a human as opposed to in their animated form you know but i think pixar has always really been about the story yeah who's who's the best person for this role i think they they all cast based on that who's right for the 
who's right to tell the story instead of who, yeah. who's, who's a good pull. Definitely. Even for like, we've talked about this before on our tourist episodes, but even like Tom Hanks, right? You mm-hmm. don't really hear Tom Hanks. You just hear Woody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, or even like, because I just rewatched Soul. That movie has Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey in it. And I don't really think about yeah. it being either of them while I'm watching it. Sure. Which is yeah. really cool. Um, but, but I will movie, say, like I do. Said earlier, it does have a very famous actor in it. And it's Sigourney Weaver playing herself. So that's pretty iconic that also the Sigour- that does make me laugh it is a very funny joke yeah. so I, I forgive is... them it's really funny yeah hey, so, hey, like, they actually laughed out loud in a while and yeah. that is what got me is like two months ago when I watched this the first Sigourney Weaver joke is so funny it's so good <laughs> It's like the, it's the perfect celebrity name. I don't know. It's just like like kind of for a kids movie, like just niche enough that right. as an adult you're like Sigourney Weaver. Like, what are you doing here? Also, like as as a Pixar nerd, I gotta say I appreciate it because uh, I'm about to say something that's really nerdy. Is that in Wally Sigourney Weaver voices the computer? For really? The ship. So in this, she's also like the voice of like the building this one she plays herself oh i love Interesting. that just like okay i'll take it very like, cool i guess that ties into uh, the pixar uh interconnected universe theory a little bit <laughs> we, we don't talk about that here oh uh, okay okay my bad my bad and, you know, I, I guess we really don't but like we could bring it up know, in the elemental actually... episode because i think it breaks that theory once yeah they, I, I can imagine they're trying to move away from that <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess we do have this like silent veto whenever talking about that. That's oh no, I'm sorry. I've I've shattered, uh, shattered, the, I've shattered the podcast. No, no, no. It's fine. You didn't. Even know you no, were it's fine. It's fine. I don't. I, you're just like we people just don't usually bring it up, and I'm just I'm someone who just doesn't like fan theories like at all. I'm always mm. like okay, mm-hmm. whenever they come up, I'm sorry. No, I feel I, that. It's a I bad thing. That. I should be more open to them. But, I don't know if you should be more open to them, but like whatever. Um, Danny, I wanted to ask if you you had you were coming in here with some like sad vibes as well, weren't you? What do you mean? In what regard? Oh, never mind then. <laughs> well, no, I think <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I'm sad about this movie. I think this is just a movie that like it is a sad well, movie. A sad I get movie. I get what you meant uh, when you were kind of messaging me earlier. Is that I think that it is. It's it's one of the few times when you feel like you relate to the the peril so much because like we all know people with with different disabilities and stuff like that and it's also just like it couldn't it doesn't need to be a fish you know so I think it seems like a more real human problem and it's something that people are like dealing with every day when you you like are a person with a disability or you have someone I, in your your family your friends I think has that it's like. What will be this, the fish's solution to this, you know? Who knows? I think this is a film where I relate to it more now that I've worked with kids with disabilities. But I also, and I think this was something that really hit me when I saw it initially, and now it hits me just the same if not more, is that um, I am someone who, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, that when I was young, I had a learning disability. And when you have a learning disability, or any disability, one thing you do that this movie captures perfectly is like i'm sorry my handwriting's bad i'm Mm -hmm. sorry i can't tie my own shoes i'm sorry i don't know how to ride a bike just the constant apologies for you being unable to do what everyone else does even if it is in its own way be out of your control because our 
Society has made it so that in media, it does not matter. Even this film does it to a degree, but I think it does it with such sensitivity that it's okay. Where it's like, well, if you put your mind to it, you can do everything. But, like, Dory still can't remember. She can't do everything. She can still find her parents and do the things that really matter. But when it comes down to it, like, Bailey's never... Not Bailey. um, Bailey actually does solve his problem. (laughs) (laughs) But but, uh, Destiny's never going to be able to see right uh, mm-hmm. Nemo's never gonna have a good fin uh these are just facts of life and I think if not the facts of life what really this movie gets to me is the constant apology yeah. for being yourself uh that's something I really struggle with on my own too I feel like I in my own life I still am someone who will apologize for absolutely everything and it's a bad trait to have because it just makes yourself feel worse Sure. Uh, and it's something where you never really noticed in the first movie because Dory's a funny person but then you get the beginning of this movie you realize this is how Dory always was throughout Finding Nemo was sorry Marlon I'm forgetting mm-hmm. I'm so sorry uh, and yeah I just feel like the whole movie exists in this realm which we've kind of expressed where Dory it's like the scene in Forrest Gump right the scene from Forrest Gump that everyone talks about where it's like you sit through the whole movie and the movie asks you to laugh at Forrest for having a disability basically the entire time but at the end of the movie tom hanks sees his son and goes well is he smart or is he dumb like me and that's when you realize the entire movie forrest gump has known that he has this disability and that just like makes that makes me cry every time when that that comes up um and this this is basically that line like recontextualizing the movie that's this as the entire movie Mm -hmm. uh Because even though, yes, Dory is still funny and stuff, it's still all baked in this sorrow that she lost her family. And that she even feels shame that she... She feels shame that she lost them for so long. And that's why also, you know, that last scene where she reunites with them and she... First thing she does is, I'm so sorry I got lost. And her parents are just so supportive. And I'm getting, like, chills talking about it now where it's like, you didn't get lost, you found us. And it's like... Mm -hmm. Uh, like, and the one thing that really got to me this watch too about that scene wasn't just that they stayed there forever; it's they stayed in the grossest part of the ocean. Yeah, yes. Where yeah. she'd come looking for them. Oh, like they they sacrificed however long she because we don't know how long these this really takes how fish grow in Finding Nemo, but like mm-hmm. what seems to be the amount of time it takes for her to grow from a baby to probably around like a thirty year old fish, right? And they just yeah. sit there the entire time waiting for her to come back in the worst part of the ocean because they love her that much and they know this is the only way they'll ever have a chance to see her again mm-hmm. see i'm getting emotional now talking about it it's just it's just really such a powerful story not only about you know i say you resonate with dory because of disability but you also resonate with her parents with the amount of sacrifice they do to love her um because that is what parenting is it's loving and sacrifice and i always say pixar movies are about parenting really but it's not, it's like the sacrifice is always like, well, eventually they move out. Eventually, it's not like uh-huh. the act of parenting itself requires sacrifice. Yeah. Um, the way that we see with Jenny and Charlie in this film. I also just think, of course, about the the flashback scene where, Dor- where Dory gets caught in the undertone. And she just sees her mom crying about how Dory will never yes. fit in. And that when that comes in her mind, she's like, she, this was because of me. I, it's just such a 
this movie is so sad. It's so sad, but it's I agree. It's so it's so gorgeous, and I yeah that scene where she's listening to she's like half can kind of half hear her parents arguing. Like I feel like every kid has been through that where you like catch like a couple like phrases of like your parents either arguing or like talking about something sad and yeah and just like her tiny little self being like immediately thinking like oh i'm gonna go get a shell to make mommy feel better it's just like oh dory uh it's too it's too much i would also so no no, go ahead go ahead i was gonna well you know if you have something more to say about that i was gonna say the one part of this movie that makes me like kind of squint my eyes a little bit because it's such a beautiful representation of like living with a disability and then you have gerald yep this is my other note i had in my thing okay. i was like i'm sure this will come up so i don't yes. bring it up now we can yes we, we, we <laughs> just like very briefly like what's going on with gerald? what's going on with gerald he really is just comedic relief and the characters who like bully him don't really face any consequences for it. No. They're never told, like, hey, you shouldn't talk to him like that. Um, so that's the one part where I'm like, how did the people making this movie not see, like, that maybe that was something they should think about, you know? Because everything else I, is, like, so gorgeously done. Even Becky. Even, even Becky, Becky even gets Becky gets, gets a moment to prove, yeah. to pr- like, to prove to Marlon that, and to that the she audience knows what's that, going like, on. It, just, just because you judged her too soon does not mean she's not capable yeah. in her own way and we got gerald just yeah. on his rock and i, I just had a, i have a little question mark about that gerald is um the thing about gerald is um first off i i agree 100 percent. i think he thematically is entirely at odds at what this film is doing mm-hmm. um i also think conversely that he, I remember distinctly, he was always the biggest laughs when I saw this movie with my kids at work. Sure. I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah. Which which also gives you this weird feeling watching it as an adult <laughs> with these kids laughing at it, where it's like they're laughing at what this movie is critiquing. Yes. Uh, uh, and the only thing I could say with it where I feel like maybe they were trying to do this is like the very last shot of the movie is Gerald on top after the credits. Yeah. And I also think putting that resolution after the credits is not what the target audience needs to see. I think it should be in the film proper. I think there should be a way to maybe involve those sea lions in the crazy third act, and maybe Gerald gets a crowd-pleasing moment in that truck chase or something. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't even know how you'd fit that, because Dory's never met these characters in the film (laughs) yet. Uh, But surely something could have been done, or just remove that character from the film yeah. too. Yeah. He served <laughs> He's no not purpose. That important. <laughs> like. Yeah. It's so strange too, because you'd think that him somehow outsmarting the other sea lions would actually be a really funny moment. And my suspicion about that purely just from a like structural standpoint is that you have this big comedic cheer moment with the truck flipping and you have all this stuff built up around it like sea otters i think it's just like a cut for time thing Mm. and yeah but i mean i do it's so strange because there are even different ways to do that and it seems so so weird watching it the the sea lions are allowed to be so unrelentingly mean to him yeah like so like so mean (laughs) 
and and yeah. very manipulative I... of him. Yeah. 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 I don't think there's any defense for Gerald. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. A lot was written about it, and like due diligence for the podcast, I was reading about this from the Times, but I don't think anyone had anything to say about it other than like, you know, we've written so much about disability, we're just kind of like, what's going on here? You know, <laughs> yes. what what more can we say about this that hasn't been said somewhere else? And then there's there's one thing where Andrew Stanton apparently is like on the record being like he was more he was more obviously coded as having a disability like in some earlier draft of the film and someone mentioned that and then they toned it down and it's i don't know it's all just so baffling yeah i, I don't know i, I feel of... like even if he's just like what gerald is a is a oh no he's a sea lion maybe just make him a different species you know like i hate to be blunt but like Sea lions not liking a different species is something where it might not be coded like that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just trying yeah. to figure this out. I just, I it doesn't make saying. any sense to me that this is the way it is, where it's like, it's this guy with weird eyebrows. Yeah, his, <laughs> so, his character design <laughs> certainly does not help. No. Uh, yes. With his, yeah, his poor unibrow. I think it would be, I was, my brain was going into like speculating about behind the scenes things, and then I remember we, I try not to do that. Mm. So. Yeah, who knows? who knows? It's bizarre. Yeah, I it, it really just is the the big glaring flaw of this film more than anything else. Yeah, there's really no there's nothing else to say. Really, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? You can't have a movie about disability and particularly mental disability, and then say like, oh, but we also want to have a funny character who's Who's like like, really dumb. Yeah, (laughs) the 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 dumb sea lion. Yeah, we want that too. No, you you can't. You can't do that. You can't though. The thing is also to me is like the movie has a air quotes funny dumb character in Becky. Yeah, but Becky still gets like resolution that yes. gets in with the themes of the film, and it's a real moment for it's a real character moment for yeah. Marlon. It, it's yeah. it's much uh, much more well done. Yeah, mm-hmm. someone put this very well that Becky has uh, like achieves subjectivity versus objectivity, mm-hmm. which is something I don't think Gerald achieves. No, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I wonder if, uh, Danny, if you had any thoughts about, this is a giant leap over to somewhere else, but, you know, we all probably love, remember, the score of Finding Nemo. I wonder, Danny, if you have such high praise for the score of this film, which was also done by Thomas Newman. I think the score is very good. I don't think it has as memorable themes, but I think it exists in this realm that's a little more dreamy, which is fine, because who our protagonist is. I do have noted, both in my old review from 2016, but I also... There's a moment in this movie that I remember making me cry every time I saw it then. It made me cry last time I watched this. Um, Well, first off, I have listed here, there are two moments that reprises themes from the original film. One of them is when the same, like, it basically just plays when... When Dory sees the boat at the beginning of the movie, it plays the same score that was in the first movie. Whatever, Mm. who cares? We're we're back at the first movie. We're playing the same score from the first movie. That makes sense. The other time is at the end of... The movie when Marlon says, "Look at what Dory's done. You've done 
this, you've done this, and then you helped me find my son. And as soon as he says that, that's when, like, the iconic Nemo score plays. Yeah. And that's, like, a perfect... I cry every time. <laughs> perfect deploying. Uh, it's kind of like how Ludwig Gorsen waits for the Rocky theme at the end of Creed. That is what the deploying of the Nemo theme is there. <laughs> uh, I think otherwise the score exists in this realm where it's not really memorable, but that doesn't mean it's bad. I think it constantly keeps me in the moment. And I think it's okay that a movie like this doesn't have, like, a main theme that I can help. You know? Yeah. And I, I, I kind of threw that one to Danny because he talks... We often... You're, you come in with, like, this knowledge of the soundtrack that a lot of people don't have. So I don't know if everyone has, like, thoughts on the music. But that's something I know I like to ask Danny about. Um... I wanted to add, what, what I wanted to, like, oh, what, what's your hand there, Danny? Oh, I was scratching my beard. It's a G. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like, hypervigilant now. He's, he doesn't want to mess it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, does anyone have any other, like, burning stuff they came in, in and about? Well, Dory with? if Burn? I may quickly cut in, jump back to something that was brought, a movie that was brought up about, 30 or 40 minutes ago maybe which is Puss in Boots The Last Wish yeah what about it is, um, well it's a fine movie it's okay uh, I have oh, on this podcast cool. several times bashed not the film itself but like the discourse around the film uh, mainly in how it created this oh, new meme right. of like a realistic panic attack and oh, I think this yeah. movie has a very realistic panic like Finding Dory has a yeah. incredibly realistic panic attack from first person perspective. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. yes. That's yeah. so true. And it's crazy when it happens. I had completely forgot that was in this movie. I do see it's in this review I wrote from 16, from 2016, but you know what? That's the, I need to close this review and stop referring back to it because it's not my thoughts on the film currently. <laughs> but when that popped up in this film, I was like, oh damn, a realistic panic attack. But also, I was affected by it in narrative where I was like, wow, like this is crazy how it works and like how everything happens so quickly to Dory and also just the terror of being in that first person knowing mm-hmm. she's going to immediately forget it all too and just be lost yeah. somewhere again like horrible like generally terrifying cinema in a way mm-hmm. yeah uh. <laughs> but I think that's what's so yeah. I think that between this and now John Carter and Finding Nemo I think I'm. I wish more people were like hype about Andrew Stanton as a director, and of course he's made like four things, so it's hard. He has to a be film hyped. coming out this year. Ooh. Yeah, and I think that might be his like fourth thing. So that's well, that's what I mean. It's like hard to be like, it's Andrew Stanton. You should go check this guy out. But I've I've just really appreciated him as, uh, you know, as a storyteller. The more films we watched of his. I have so, I have two other things to bring up. Um, yes, I may. So first off, please. this is the easier one. Um, I remember one thing about this film, maybe in the trailers, because I don't remember if it was in the marketing or not. But I remember it being like, again, a smaller bit of discourse when it came out, which is that this film reprises the bit from Toy Story three, where the toys are played with and just thrown around with the splash pool. I I posit oh. after watching this film. 
that this movie does it much better because it's way more funny to have the characters talking and screaming during it. Yeah, yeah. We, we we were also like, we this scene is good. Scene. Like, <laughs> I forgot about that like, scene, and I was yeah. like, this is fucking funny. The like horror sequence, and then when all the weird little worms are like, turn around, turn, back. <laughs> turn back. Yeah, just just so funny. Just really, just mm-hmm. good stuff. Is that um, I I sorry. my final note to talk. Oh, sorry. No, oh, go I was going to no, say, no, like, I, I, I didn't know you had much. Go ahead. I love that moment um, for and in terms of, like, fleshing out Hank's character and, you know, giving him um, more to do. Was, was was Hank's arm, like, removed by a kid? Is that, was that kind of the... So, in, it's was, ambiguous. It's, well, it seems... they'll make a Finding Hank. Finding Hank. I don't know, but it it seems to me that something happened in the ocean because he says that his worst memories are from the ocean. That's why he wants to go to Cle- Cleveland, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I assumed it was something that happened to him, like in the ocean, right? Yeah. Well, regardless, that, yeah, I agree. That touch pool scene is so cool. The um, <laughs> the the hands just like appearing and and the sound design with them like slamming into the sand is, is so good. It gives them such a like colossal titan weight. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the the next Finding Nemo has to be about the guys in the tank, right? Like they've really no. left that hanging. Keep miss post credit scenes. No, well, I mean, I don't know. Oh, like the I just the feel guys like that's in the tank the in the like in the first one, you mean? <laughs> well, you know, there's there's the Willem Dafoe character. Yes, 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 yes. Do you guys you, know, you guys know the post credit scene? Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, yeah. Now I, what? Just, I would like I would like to see them get to the Great Barrier Reef in California. Yeah. Without knowing about Crush or whatever. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, without it's, the it's like without the fast travel. Time, yeah, <laughs> they have they have fast travel yeah. in Nemo too. That's what it is. Um. Well, all right. Wait, uh, do I, we have I, any I, other? Wait, I had one last thing. I thought you already gave the one last thing. Okay, no, I had two last thing? things, and then I gave one of them. The people will back me up on this anyway. What is it? What is it? Well, no, no this know. is. I just, this is interesting, because this is what I saved for last. Because this is like a big talk about story structure, which is Andrew Stanton has gone on the record for several times, even before this film came out. Like in that TED talk we talk about all the time, where he goes, "Look at how great my opening of John Carter is," and everyone's just like, "All right, all right get to the wall. You're finding Nemo stuff." Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> he's gone That's on the record. He's a great Wally. <laughs> I forgot about it. Anyway, go on. Um, he gives this thing. Um, he always talks about how Finding Nemo initially opened just with Nemo waking Marlin up. And the story of Coral and ne- Marlin was told throughout flashbacks throughout the film. And it just didn't work at all because Marlin was just too big of a dick. And then eventually mm-hmm. they moved that to the front of the movie. And they're like, oh, yeah, flashback structure doesn't work. Let's never try that again. Oh, wait. Finding Dory is entirely built on flashback structure. And I think this is... Of course, it it works particularly well because it's when Dory remembers them. That's when Mm -hmm. these flashbacks occur. But I also just think what we're shown in these flashbacks... um, And I think there's a cynical side of me. It's like, oh, well, baby Dory will sell a lot of toys. You know? That's always (laughs) what I kind of think about when I see, like, baby Dory, baby Moana, baby whatever. Um... Like, yes, she'll sell a lot of toys, but I also think those scenes are so pivotal pivotal, and always so well deployed that it's really incredible in a way. I would love to hear Andrew Stanton 
go and I'm sure he's actually done this like go in depth on how he cracked this because apparently this was a big problem for him in Finding Nemo was trying to figure out how do I do flashback story structure and he returns to it 10 years later and I feel like completely executes it well so yeah that is interesting but yeah, yeah. well the one last the, on the, looking for the ocean well yes I had yes. one last thing that I still find so funny which is that this was one of the Pixar movies that was like <laughs> do you remember like the, the first gay characters or whatever because oh, we have the two yes, women yes yes they are in this film <laughs> At the aquarium. Every film gets its first gay. Character. It's so yes. funny because I'm like, that could just be two besties at the aquarium. Um, anyway, I just needed, I needed to mention that. The bar is <laughs> on my the gosh. Floor. Did you? Yeah, they're, they're just two besties. They're just two besties. Sure. <laughs> Guys, did you know? Before Mark does our ending spiel, the end credits of this. I don't know why. Obviously, it's not her voice, but mine just heard like the instrumental. And I immediately was like, all right, well, Lana Del Rey does the cover. I immediately skip it. It wasn't <laughs> Lana Del Rey. It was Sia, which I feel like connects in a way, if I want to be really annoying, to her movie that she made. That <laughs> like, <laughs> hates, <laughs> her movie she made that, like, hates people her with disabilities. No. people. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember Sia. that. Sia, like, directed a movie that, like, yes. hates autistic people. Yes, with but, Maddie Ziegler. <laughs> Sia learned nothing watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> she just got a check for the track, huh? Yeah. I don't think she watched it. I don't think it. she saw the movie. She got, that movie has a 7% Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> wow. It's higher than I thought it would be. Uh. Well, everybody, we have a lot of fun here on Looking for the Ocean. <laughs> One thing we like to do is we like to give the film things. We like to give it things like other films. Other shows will give films like thumbs up or star ratings or things like that. We like to actually give the film something. Wow. Like an object. So, what... Would you guys give the film Finding Dory? You look like I want, you have I something. Want, I have something, but I want you to go first. I don't, do it. I don't I'm, have anything, I'm though. worried we have the same thing. You don't have anything? No. You guys also don't have to go first, but if you, like, please. Why don't, right yeah, you guys go first. I, yeah, why, Maybe why, I'll why, think why, of something. why don't you lead us off, Mark? Lead us off. I know what I'm giving it. Okay, Danny. So, I've once, like, six or seven years ago, not only did I write a really long review for Finding Dory, but I have once seen the film Memento. And what I would like to give it is the DVD of Memento that I found <laughs> once in the teacher's lounge of my job that was like, pick up DVDs please, and it was all a bunch of children's movies and then Memento. And I was like, I would like to own a copy of Memento on DVD and I took it, and it has a bonus feature where you can watch the movie in chronological order, so I will give this film that uh, and Dory can sit down and have a nice movie night underwater watching Memento in order chronological order, which I imagine probably ruins a lot of the mystery of that film and just kind of makes it like this a movie about process that's kind of frustrating to watch, but eh, Dory will probably like it. And if she doesn't, she won't remember it anyway. She, Who cares? I want, sometimes I give films like an actual thing, but this time I want to, sometimes I give the films something that I think they deserve, and this time I just want to give it something silly based on an idea that I got while we were talking about it earlier, and I want to give it a TV show based on them finding Nemo's siblings, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I want like 
all Finding of the siblings Remy. to have. Well, I want I want them all to have like superpowers. Ooh. So each each week is like a different Nemo brother, but like oh, this one's like a mad scientist, and this one has like X-ray vision or something, and it can be like it can be like Doctor Who, where they <laughs> wow. like learn about different eras of time. And like different parts of the world through like different fish. Like, oh, he has one. He has like a brother who lives in France now, and let's go there. I don't. Know. I just feel like there's endless potential to make a wonderful TV show about Nemo's siblings, and that's what I would give it a TV deal. Anyway, a TV you deal. guys, Matt and Bridget, what would you like to give this film? I. Oh, you, those were fun. I want to know what you have. Okay, I feel like mine's stupid. Now. No, please say it. All right. I was going to give the movie Finding Dory a tackle box because it's got something for everyone and it's a great catch. (laughs) I love that. But That's good. When I think about it a little deeper, Uh you know, tackle is also bright and colorful. Um, And yeah, there's different... I I think like in terms of of disability, you know, how we handle that is not one size fits all. A tackle box has lots of different types of bait, lots of different types of hooks. Uh, all sorts of tackle, depending mm-hmm. on the fish you're trying to catch. And I think that's a great way to uh, go about uh, teaching kids with disability and also how we uh, handle disability and, and for adults in, in day-to-day life. Anyway, um, over to you. I would like to give Finding Dory the time that was stolen from me when I watched Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde. I wish I had spent that time <laughs> watching this movie instead. Well. <laughs> That's it. Those are both good. That's good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you guys I, for being on. It's so, it's so wonderful to have it was you. So thank fun. you for having us. And let's Sometimes say once I'm again, desperate. for the record, that this is a great film. If you haven't seen Finding Dory because you're like, oh, another Pixar movie that's going to have no legacy, I hate to tell you this, but you don't get to choose if this movie has a legacy. It's the children who saw it in 2016 yeah. and you. You have no authority over if this film has a legacy. You might as well just watch it. Ironically, <laughs> this film can run. It's got the legs. It'll go the distance. That's it. That's it. Oh, because fish, fish don't have legs. Is that the irony? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but octopuses have seven. They have arms. <laughs> they have arms, Danny. <laughs> I, I just, I just like that we we can like mix up taglines from different Disney movies. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> can I just say the tagline for this it's movie? It's like cars. He just can't wait to be king. <laughs> can I just tell, just tell you? <laughs> So wait, wait. Can we just can, the the poster for? I know we're done, but the poster for this movie, the tagline was, uh, "An unforgettable journey she probably won't remember." And I'm just seeing that. I'm like, that's mean. That's so mean. <laughs> that's really mean to do it. <laughs> um, I do. I do genuinely like what a what a strange. Every time I think about the past, I always think like, oh, how much we've learned since then. But always, we're we're never like actually learning things. We're always just thinking about the past. And don't you think that like, if we were to do this now, ideally, everyone would be played by like a famous disabled actor, mm. and it would have like disabled comedy writers and like I don't know, they can do what they want. I don't know. Danny, Danny's giving me a look that like. That's I a, a funky idea, and I think I don't know. I just think that's the, just the way you would do it, you know. I, I maybe, but I also just think that Dory, as much as like you know, Ellen's been canceled in recent years. I think Dory <laughs> and Ellen are kind of like intertwined. 
I don't think I can imagine Dory being the character she is without Ellen behind her voice. Well, I don't, I don't mean Ellen. I mean, like, all the new characters that they created to sell toys, you know? They got, okay, they but, got then, like, but then, that, but you have all this opportunity. But then, Caitlin Olsen from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia wouldn't be a Pixar character. So, why we have, I know we have to get Caitlin Olsen for money, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I don't know, when, it com- when it comes down to it, I'd rather get Diane Keaton and Eugene Levy on board. Yeah, I wish they were in this movie. What do you mean? They're in this movie. Okay. I know, they have their money. <laughs> All right. Did you know that anyway. Nemo is in this movie? Yeah. Nemo's voice from the first movie plays the guy who drives the truck. And oh, I recognized wow. his voice. I was like, wow, that sounds like Nemo's voice has changed. Uh, and I oh, Googled it, and it was true. That's cute. I like that's that. Cute. I'm sorry. I'm I'm just talking because I feel like this episode's too short, and Mark needs to cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. It's, episodes are how long they are. An episode is all about, like the vibe, you know? And sometimes you wrap it up quick. I don't know, it's also like I feel like we all enjoyed watching this movie. It's kind of hard to like... Yeah, hard to talk it's for funny a long because time. This is a movie like... I feel like that people I mentioned at work today, I was I was gonna talk about this today and drop a hot take and they're like I was like, oh, what movie? I was like, Finding Dory, like ooh, bad movie. And I was like, what? <laughs> no. Have people seen Finding Dory? Like, that's, is Finding Dory like Speed Racer? Where it's like People have right, actually uh, seen to it. To review, Finding Dory made $1.029 billion. I have remember, people seen Finding Dory? I remember people liking it when it came out. At least in my circle. It has this thing where like, every Pixar sequel, besides like Toy Story 2 and 3, has no legacy. Mm. But it's because we didn't grow up with them. That's really why. Our generation yeah. didn't grow up with them. Yeah. The legacy of these movies will not be submitted for at least another five years. So. Yeah. Five years? What do you mean? Because that'll be like ten years, and then we'll see what happens. Well, I don't know. Like the eight-year-olds will be like in film school then. That's so funny because when I mean when I was I don't know, man. When I was in film school, I really wasn't taking things that I saw when I was like pre-high school into film school. I well, this I just, is why I need to go. This is why I need to like become a film professor. So I can only teach you can make films. Watch only teach Pixar. Be like, look at this film. Look at how great this film is. This is a film that is good. Mm-hmm. Andrew Stanton is taking all the lessons you learned from Wally, and I guess some John Carter lessons by minimizing Willem Dafoe's role so the movie doesn't bomb. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> finding meaning and finding Dory one hundred and one. Is that anything? Find, finding good. Yeah, yeah, sure. I was trying to make a dumb, like, <laughs> Dorio one. And I was like, oh. Yeah, it took yeah. me a second to right, yeah, 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 jump right, in right. when I had something. What are, what's that creature behind you? It's, it's the oh, office hello, cat. Oh, hello, kitty! He's oh about gosh. to start licking the microphone, so... Oh, oh no, I would love that beautiful. ASMR. What does Waffles yeah. think about finding Dory? He did not watch it with me. Waffles. Wow. Waffles would want to watch it probably. Waffles would have been jumping for it. Well, anyway, sometimes we have people on that need people to find them online for some reason. Do you have any, like, socials that you want people to follow? Sure. Yeah, um, my Instagram is uh, BridgetL33. And then you can also find my website at BridgetALynn.com if you want to hire me to do anything. (laughs) Uh, For me, it's the same. My Instagram is at MaddieShafe. 
with an underscore at Maddie underscore Schaefer. We got and, there. Yep. And my website is MatthewSchaefer.com. Uh, and we're both actors and we're really good at what we do. And audition season is upon us and it's a grind. So if you are a casting director, Period. look us up. I apologize if you just heard purring straight into the microphone. Oh, I, I hope that it did make it in. I hope it did make it. Yeah, I'm Julius, you can keep it in it's if you, you like purring. Guest like <laughs> <laughs> starring Waffles. All right, Waffles, I'm going to wrap this up, okay? Oh, okay. my God. Um, I love his meows. Yeah. Um, anyway, so what do we do next time, Danny? Great question. I think I know, so I pulled it up just to make sure. Yes. We're going on a detour. We have a guest for this detour. We are going to talk about Doug Sweetland's film, Storks. Doug Sweetland directed Mark's favorite film of all time, Presto, the movie about the the, the, the bunny that... Uh, to key our guests into what I'm saying, Mark and I got into an hour-long argument about Presto, a short film that most people think is either one, great, or be perfectly fine and mark came on the call i was like this is one of the worst things i've ever seen and i'm like wow. it's a five-star short man i don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so and mark's argument was like the cartoon logic makes no sense but anyway storks I'm, is it's just the way it is storks is anyway. doug sleepland's one attempt at a feature-length film co-directed by nicholas stoller done for i believe warner brothers animation group so we will talk about that next week with a special guest wahoo all right thank you guys for coming on we're yes thank you you guys credit. were great guests thank you thanks for having us looking for the ocean yes thank you uh looking for the ocean is produced by mark young and danny vincent the show is edited by julius jefferson our original artwork was by sarah Kanoff. You follow us on social media at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, Twitter at Pixar Journey. You can email us at Looking for the Ocean Pixar at gmail.com. You can also find our website, Looking for the Ocean Pixar. I say so much stuff at the end credits. What happened? What happened? You didn't breathe. Oh, we've expanded too far. Uh, MarkYoungPerformer.com and M Young. It's uh, Look for Things. Uh, you can you can follow me at Blankments on Facebook on Letterbox, not Facebook on Letterbox. I talk about movies there. My talk, I mean, write really long, nineteen paragraph things. Six years ago, now you're lucky if you get three sentences out of me. Um, you can also listen to my podcast at Snub Club. We talk about movies in the most Oscar noms, but no wins. All right, thank you guys, Matt and Bridget, for coming on. Bye. Thank you. Yay! All right. Bye, I think we found a good episode. <laughs> All right, yeah, that was a great episode. Thank you, guys.